Hello and welcome to the Sabbatarianism podcast. My name is Justin. I have with me Richard and Neil. Uh, we are going to continue our study of the Gospel of Luke. Um, we want to encourage everyone out there to read their Bibles uh, for themselves all the way through, start to finish. That is the place to start. Once you've done that, then please come back here and uh, check out our podcasts, but do that first. Uh, anyway, Mr. Richard, Mr. Neil, good afternoon, gentlemen. Good uh, afternoon. All right. So anything we want to go over or prepare uh, for going through the uh Continuing to go through the Gospel of Luke? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Just yep. start where we left off. Okay. Where we left off would be chapter 4, and I guess we'll just go ahead and get started there. Richard, you want to take it? Okay. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil and in those days he ate nothing and afterward when they had ended he was hungry and the devil said to him if you are the son of god command this stone to become bread but jesus answered him saying it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of god now that's i think uh, written in deuteronomy neil you got that uh that's verse four that Deuteronomy six thirteen, I believe. It says eight three. Eight three, yep. Okay. Then the devil, taking him up on the high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And that's Deuteronomy 6.13. Was that 6.13? I was looking at the wrong verse there. Yeah. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Well. What one was that? What's he quoting there in 12, Neil? You have it? Uh, 12. Psalm 91. Okay. 11 and 12. No, that's that's what Satan's quoted. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Where it says he, yeah, he will command his... 11. Oh, Deuteronomy 6.16? Yeah. My footnotes have got me confused here. I also okay. mentioned that this the temptation of Christ is also uh, in Matthew three and Mark one. Okay. Okay, and it's interesting here that he he's con of course being confronted, but he does each time he quotes scripture as yeah. the rebuttal. Yes, and that's no, his tool. That's his sword. That's that's what he's using for this temptation. Mm -hmm. But notice also though that Satan. Quote scripture. Yes, it yeah, is. Good point. Good point. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit of Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written. And this comes from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the good news to the poor. He has sent me to head, heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind 
to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, there's the gospel right there. That is. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. And to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath. Zarephath. That's her name, whatever her name is. In the region of Sidon to a woman who uses who was a widow and many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian can we stop here yes so this discourse here um, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing he's basically telling them I am the one that's bringing this gospel yes and they marveled at that mm-hmm right so next he goes on to say, you're not going to believe me. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and Heal they, yourself. They, yeah. they, they, they claim. They prophesied. It, that, it, is not this Joseph's son. Right. Yeah. Okay. How can somebody from our area That's be, Richard be making, Davis. He's yeah. from Atlanta, Texas. He didn't <laughs> know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's essentially it's the, the same way human thing. nature looks it's at it. It's the same human nature, right? And, and back in the prophecies, uh, you look in Jeremiah and Ezekiel when God prophesied about how he would recall uh, the firstborn, essentially. It would be one from a city or two from a family or vice versa. It is not going to be vast amounts of people that are going to accept it. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are hardest to get convinced is those who grew up knowing you. I mean, after all, who are you? And I even wonder if the prophets, if their wives and children believed that they were prophets or if they said, oh, they, you know, that's just dad. He, he's just rambling on. You know, I, I wonder. I, I don't think we're told here, but I, I just wonder to myself as I read these things. But we do know that James doubted that Christ was, you know, Jesus was the Christ. How do we know that? Uh, I believe it tells us that. And it. He would not, not until after the resurrection did he come to be a follower. Uh, I remember. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah. So we're in verse, what, 28? 28. Yeah. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. They led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. They wanted to kill him. Yes. Made him so mad. Even his own people. This isn't the Pharisees. This yes. is his own people. Yes. These are common people. Because mm-hmm. it didn't sit right with them. Right. Then he went down to Capernaum, city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, you Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this, or what a word this is. For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out to every place in the surrounding region. And that is also, uh, that episode is told in Mark, I believe. And it's interesting here that 
This demon knew exactly who he was dealing with. Yes. And it appears, you'll see again and again, they do. They all do. Yeah. Yeah, and and I shouldn't say this demon, these demons, because there's many here, right? Yes. Let us alone. Verse 38. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, was sick with a high fever, and they made requests of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. When the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I will preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. So what purpose was he sent? Preach the gospel. That's it. So uh, does Luke not do the, uh, the wedding where he changes the w- water into wine? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. No. Yeah, maybe not. I don't see it on the list here. But no. Uh, though no. that whole the last half of that is is both in Matthew and Mark. Okay. The story of the healing of of the uh, what is it? Oh, the casting out of the demon and uh, that he must preach the gospel. Well, something that I, I think it might have been Mary pointed out in our in our study here is that in that changing the the water into wine event, his mother looks at him and asks him to do something. Now, they, it's, this is recorded in, in this, uh, in, in the chronological. chronological order that this is the first miracle that he does, mm-hmm. is this water into wine. Yet his mother knew to even ask him about something like that says that he is he had likely done other things that were astonishing and and she even had had the thought that he could do something about this now his reply to her of course is pretty fun funny <laughs> woman <laughs> what have i to do with this but anyway well, we don't know yeah neil you have anything else on uh chapter four He's no. furiously looking through his notes Well, I was, I was looking for that, that part of the uh, synoptic gospels on the water and the wine. I'm okay. not finding it. But And I've always heard that that was his first miracle, but I think it depends on which book you're reading. Okay. In this case, it seems like <laughs> healing this guy is the, with the unclean spirit is the first thing. his first one, but... Well, I think it, this at this time, it was his time. He said, you know, he stood up and said, hey, this moment of preaching the gospel is fulfilled. And then he went on from there, whereas apparently the water and the wine was before that. Could have been. I think that's a general opinion on it. Chapter 5. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, 
Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now that's a good typical example of the type of faith that Abraham had. Okay, I believe you. Let's go. Well, and, and it's interesting that yeah. in verse 5, Simon calls him master. Yes. He recognized something there, but it, maybe he saw some of these events previously. Well, it said that previously in the previous chapter that... Uh, the message went out all around. It's in verse 38 that he went to and healed Simon's wife's, mm, Simon's true. mother-in-law. Right. Yeah. So contrary to... Catholic tradition, Simon Peter was married. He had a wife at the time and a mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was the same Simon. I have no no uh, reason to believe that it was that it wasn't. So by being catchers of men, instead of going out fishing for yeah. things to eat, you're going to help me catch men. That's right. Verse 12, and it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear, to be healed by him or their, of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then Behold, a man brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find out how they might bring him in, instead of because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And he saw their faith, and he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And when the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Where is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man, who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Can we pause there? Yes. Um, I'm going to go back to verse 17. Uh, On a certain day, There were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. This is speaking of these Pharisees and teachers of the law is is the way I perceive this verse. Am I I reading that incorrectly? That's the way it says here. The NU text reads, was present with him, Christ, to heal. Yeah, that's mm. how I would read. Okay. Uh, also, but they're the ones that take issue with him. Yeah. Immediately. Yes. Well, and by because he uses that phraseology, mm. your sins are forgiven. Yeah. You know what does that got to do with healing? Well, it has everything spiritually, anyway. Well, and it also has to do with the ways that they had grown up with for generations of how to deal with sin it was through the sacrificial system and here's this man sitting here saying that you're forgiven that that 
to them was blasphemous. Who can forgive sins but God alone, right. they ask. And because they didn't agree that he could be God. Right. Yeah. Even Satan knew that when when uh, Jesus answered him and said, what did he say? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. <laughs> you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And uh, then in verse 12 of chapter 4, Jesus answered and said to him, it's been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Well, Satan was trying to tempt him, and Jesus was rebuking him. So Satan knew who he was. Yeah. And those demons knew who he was. Yes, they did. But these people could not accept that from their mindset, their religious background. They well, were, and even, even the disciples and, and other people who followed him had trouble believing it. Yes. Uh, it, it's a tough thing. Well, they had followed him for many different reasons. Yeah. We're not going to read John 6 right now, but Jesus talked about that. They saw the bread multiplied, and they wanted to eat. Or they saw the healing, and they wanted to be healed, but it wasn't really a spiritual awakening. God wasn't opening their eyes, as Christ had said there, you know, that in Elijah was in a certain place, and only one person profited from his prophecies. The same way with Christ. He didn't come to convert all these people or to argue with Satan. He had come to cut these people off. And it, we're told that in Matthew 13, I believe, where he said to his disciples, uh, I speak to them in parables so that they won't understand. It's not given for them to understand. And he explained the parables later. They were blinded. Those To those who have, more will be given. To those who have not, I will take away even that which they had. And through centuries of disobedience to God, the time of judgment was on the nation of Judah and those aligned with them to cut them off. And that's what happened with his death. Yeah. They don't believe in him to this day. Right. But the time will come where they will. That's all explained in the book of Romans. We went through that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty obvious here that that all these people around him are there, are there for the blessings. It's it's still about the blessings at this point. Yeah. For I can almost envision that it's because of the healings they've saw. It's sure. like I know somebody yes. that I want to be healed too. Eh? Me too. You bet. Well, and this uh both those uh, episodes of the cleansing the leper and the paralytic that dropped through the ceiling or through the roof. Mm -hmm. uh, this is interesting that Mark and John, I mean, um, Matthew and Mark both record those events. But in Matthew, it's in, in chapters uh, 8 and chapter 9. You know, okay. Well into his book. Mm -hmm. Mark, it's in chapters 1 and chapter 2. Well, Mark. Different telling. Mark different was real short and yeah. uh, young man that recorded what he had seen or what he had knew there. It's it's just a differences in how people recollect things. Well, sure. and just or different writing saw. styles. Yeah, I mean, people right. write differently, you know. And I don't think any of them are really trying to go point by point in a chronological order. John does say, and then, and then, and then, to mm -hmm. where it does sound chronological, but uh, the rest of them don't appear to be kind of even attempting that. Well, and, and even by putting in then, it may have been an afterthought. It's like, yeah. oh, I forgot this, and then. But and, it, oh, uh, yeah, good you point. Know, never know. Yeah, and, and Matthew's gospel really seems to be a, uh, just point by point trying to prove that he is the Messiah, the the that the, he fulfilled all the prophecies, and this was done to fulfill. Matthew says that over and over and over. And, and I don't see anything uh, in any of the Gospels that would r suggest that they're even trying to be chronological. Yeah. It, you yeah. Know, right. They'll talk about his birth early on and mm -hmm. his resurrection way late, but otherwise everything in between is just, this is what I remember. Yeah. Yeah, and then keep in mind that we read at the beginning, Luke is writing to this man Theophilus. Theophilus, right? All right, twenty-seven. Uh, twenty-seven. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, "Follow me." 
So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And the scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to him, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I think that would probably be, could be rendered the self-righteous or the ones who believe they're righteous because they're not in any frame of mind to repent. And what he's saying here is healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. That's Those right. who know that they are a sinner are the ones that need to. Yeah. And he's, again, talking to the Pharisees. Yes. That was, they, they thought they were righteous, mm-hmm. even if it was self-righteous. Yeah. And th- that also was in Matthew and Mark. Yeah. Um, and, and I was going to point out that Levi, I believe, is Matthew. Yeah. Verse 33, then they said to him, why do the disciples of John fast often make prayers? And likewise, those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. Then he spoke a parable to them. No one pits a piece from a new garment on an old one otherwise the new makes a tear and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old and no one puts new wine into old wine skins or else the new wine will burst the wine skins and be spilled and the wine skins will be ruined but new wine must be put into new wine skins and both are preserved and one no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Now, So when it says John here in the very beginning, the disciples of John, they're talking about John the Baptist mm -hmm. there. Yes. And he's just, you know, if you look back in the uh, book of Isaiah where God talks about the proper reason for fasting is to draw close to God. It's not to get something you want but to draw near to him. And he's sitting right there talking to you every day. You have no need for that. But when he's gone, he said, there will be a need for you to do that in order to draw closer to to him. And then this parable, he's talking about the wineskins or the garments. This is a very large subject. He is saying, you've been used to dealing with me or with God in a certain way and you can't take something new and add it to that and then make that work. You've got to start over with a new wineskin. It's basically the whole message of the New Testament That's right exactly there. right. You can't start over with the way that God dealt with ancient Israel and add Jesus right. to it. And Jesus as the Old Testament, that's what I call, or Jesus as the law of Moses. No, you have to go back to that moment at the foot of the mountain where those people refused to come up to him when they were called to. And like it says in Hebrews, go up to him. And the loving wife relationship. That's right. Learn a better way. And there's right. a lot of things different then in how you relate to God, and this is one of them. He, what he's saying here is you can't take a bond woman and make her love you. No. you got to start over with a woman, woman that, that does love you. you. That's right. From the beginning. That's right. And, Neil, you got anything else? I will add one okay, thing there. That last verse, he says, no one having drunk old wine immediately desires a new, for he mm. says the old is better. We're all stuck in our ways. Well, he was prophesying that they would resist it. Yeah, you right grew there. up in a different, in a certain mindset, and getting somebody out of it and saying, "Hey, you got to come start over and start over in a better way" is a horrible thing to try to do because people will cling to it in an unreasonable manner. It's going to be a fight. Yeah, but at the same time, the uh, the, the old there's nothing wrong with the old way. I mean, it, it was, was it good was in its time f- for, what, for its, purpose. its purpose. For what it was. Yeah, no, right. Nothing wrong with it. And Paul tells us that those are there for our example. 
yeah those stories sure mm-hmm. you know so we can learn from their mistakes basically yeah that they what they had was the best thing that could have possibly been for some for someone for a bond woman that didn't yeah. have the right heart yeah and you can learn a lot of lessons from it yeah okay we ready for chapter six Now, it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answered them. Jesus answering them said, Have you not read this, that David did what what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? how they went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those who are with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. There's a lot here. Yes, there is. There's a lot there. First of all, if you look at the law, it doesn't say that prepping anything for you to eat that day on the Sabbath is a sin. It says, don't do your servile, your regular work, which you use to make a living. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yes. But if memory serves me right, in Leviticus 23, it calls out each of those and says, don't do your servile work. That's what it means. With the exception of two. That being... Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement and the weekly Sabbath. Well, you could do your... You, you are not to do your servile work on the weekly Sabbath. For sure. Yes. But the others, it's it's just saying your servile work is, but, is the way I take it. Servile work would be your what occupation. You for a living. Your yeah. occupation. Right. Your occupation. Your occupation. That doesn't preclude uh, make, uh, preparing a meal. Except, except for right. what you need to do for preparing a meal. Well, that's all he was saying. Here, have this. You know, he wasn't harvesting grain. Yeah. But they had added so many things to it. By right. that time, it was ridiculous. But at the same time, the main sap, uh, subject here is what he said there at the end. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He didn't come to serve the Sabbath so he could be the Son of Man. He's the one that created the Sabbath for man, for your good. and So that you would rest, to make you rest. and that For us. Make and, you spend a day with God. And draw you close to God. It's there for its purpose, but it's right. not something you, you serve to that point where that these men have made up all these rules, and he's just showing the superiority there. And he's just saying that even David, when he went into the house, took of that showbread, which is part of that Sinai system, the rituals and the the uh, no, it was against the yeah. law. Yeah, of Moses to eat of to the showbread. Showbread, except for the priest. But David did it. That's right. Why? He because was he was hungry. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. He he made the decision, and so did the priest on duty. Right then, I don't remember his name, Richard. You probably will. It was uh, Abiathar's father, who was Ahimelech. Okay. But even he made the decision, yeah, go ahead and eat. It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- there's a lesson there as well. Yeah, and I think one of the lessons that I've gotten out of this over the years is that the law is not here for you. You're not here for the law to serve it, especially the law of Moses. It's here for your, your good and your purpose. You don't cast it aside. But David understood that was a situation where in faith he wanted his men to eat and it was good for them and he took it uh they had that type of relationship with god yes he had the same type of relationship with god we do and that abraham did and yeah yeah and you know people argue about this forever but remember the guy that stuck up his hand to steady the ark when they tried to move it on yeah. a, a car he was and struck god down. struck him dead yeah well he was just trying to steady the ark yeah but to those people, God didn't make that kind of exception because he knew their hearts. Hmm. I mean, if they can do it, get by with it, what will they be doing next? You know, I've heard ministers in the past make similar statements. You know, they're there to 
not judge, but to police the congregation's activities. Because if you don't have somebody to police you, people just do anything and everything. Well, who polices them? That's my point. (laughs) (laughs) Who polices them? The point is, if you truly have a heart to obey God, you don't need that. Right. And when you make decisions in faith, they're judgments and matters of time. Judgments are deal with moments in time. They should not be taken to abolish laws or negate laws or to create lawlessness. When so David, when David did it, they weren't saying, all right, anybody can come in here and eat the showbread. That's right. But they were saying, all right, this is an anointed one of God, and, and he is he's determined that they really, really need this, so we're going to make an exception here, and he's going to eat it. Go ahead. Men, men need to eat, too. That's a valid, yeah. valid thing. Uh, and that's a judgment that was made before God, and only the God is the judge of that, not me and not you. Not any of these people. Uh, Matthew adds a little bit more to this. Go ahead and read. Uh, after, after the Pharisees asked him about why, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Here's Jesus' response, and this is the English Standard Version. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only for the priest. Okay, that all pretty much the same. Yeah. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Because okay. they're doing their servile work. They're doing their on work the Sabbath, on the Sabbath. Sabbath right? Bearing the sin of the people, like right. we talked about before. Okay, and then verse 6 there, and this is chapter 12 of Matthew, verse 6 says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's explains even a lot more. Yeah. Verse 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. And they were filled with rage and disgust of one another what they might do to Jesus. Why were they filled with rage for him? They weren't they, violating any of God's law there. He wasn't. There was no, the the issue was with the stuff they had made up. Right. Their law. Yeah. Their traditions. And really what, what bore it out of them is his fame. Yeah. And everybody coming to him and looking to him. That's what started it all. They're, they were looking for something from they, him. Filled with self-righteousness. No, I, I like that verse 8 where it says he knew their thoughts. So he has the guy, come over here. Stand right here. <laughs> right in front of these guys. Right in he, front of these guys. He egged it on over and over and over. It's awesome. Well, he confronted their evil. He did. Verse 12, And it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountaintop to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And he came with them and stood on the level place with the crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of his their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. 
and they were healed, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciple and said, Blessed are you, poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you who, when men hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner their father did it to the prophets. Their fathers. Their fathers, yes. So he started, basically Luke is starting in on the same one as Matthew 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Yes. Verse 24, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive back as much. And love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you shall be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Let's pause here for a sec. Um, I I think this verse 29, to him who strikes strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. I think that has been twisted and used against us as followers of the Messiah, that we have to, to be that we can't fight back in any way, that we we shouldn't, that we just have to take anything given to us and that we can't have, that we can't stand up for ourselves. And I think that's been effective against us. And I just wanted to take some time and kind of talk about this. Is, Is that what that is saying, first of all, to you gentlemen? (laughs) I've heard this explained differently if somebody strikes you on the cheek turn the other one like i dare you to do it again okay yet i've heard protestant ministers explain that individually as followers of christ we should be docile we'll say but to each other well to each other but uh i'll We'll get back to that, I guess. Okay. What he, the one I recall hearing, he says, if if you come after my wife and children, though, you're in trouble. Okay. Okay. So because he ain't gonna put up with it, and that made sense. But I've, I've used this quote before. I believe it's Abraham Lincoln it says, "Do I not destroy my enemy if I make him my friend?" Okay. So. What's he say? You know, love your enemies. How do you do that? Well, make them your friend. Make them your friend. You know, find out why they're your enemy and then find out what you can do to overcome that. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on in the world today? Those people don't have a clue why they hate each other so much. This love here is translated as agape. Yes. This is agape he's speaking of. Yeah. I think he's speaking of ideally the way it should be among believers. Yeah. Right. And, uh, but 
everybody in this world is not a believer, and you right. can't just become a victim to people who, right. who hate you and want to destroy you. Right's right, and wrong is wrong, and justice is justice. Now, mercy trumps justice, as we're told. And but, it has to. Yeah, because God's merciful to us, or none right. of us would have a right. chance. But it doesn't mean that we just are foolish and let anybody destroy us and hurt us and don't defend ourselves. And that we can't defend ourselves and our yes. and especially our families. Yeah. No. Well and I think too that uh if you know if you apply this to believers only, well, we can have even believers can have enemies within the church. You know, people that your personalities clash or whatever and they're out to destroy you or want to prevent you from doing anything and they become your enemy well you got to get over that as as followers of christ but apart from that it may not apply necessarily or in, in a different way okay and another part of this is lend to those from whom you hope to receive or not to receive back is it talking about lending money or, or lending sugar, or what? What's the lesson here in your in your mind? I think it's to give people the benefit of the doubt. Don't mm. don't be selfish. You know, if you have it in your hand to help somebody, be more eager to help them than to say, "No, I got to have a guarantee, or I'll have you put in prison, or or whatever." He's building okay. the, the foundation of agape here. Yeah, but if somebody is just continually trying to scam you and lie to Take, you yeah. and has no intention no intention to pay anything back there comes a time that god's law comes into to being there you know those who don't work those who don't make an effort to do what's right you've got to understand that's a whole different thing don't work don't eat yeah it, it says that's when. right we're told that in paul's letter to the thessalonians yeah uh, you don't just continue letting yourself be a victim of those people who have a wrong intent. Okay. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, full measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And I think this is the crux mm -hmm. of a lot of what he's saying here. Mm -hmm. You go over and above to live to love others and not to be concerned about yourself and and God will take care of you abundantly for doing that. Okay. God's in charge there. He's not really saying to not to make any judgments. We do that all the time. But but you know, judge not, and you will not be judged. So, and that elsewhere, maybe it's Paul that says this: you'll be judged based on how how you judge others. Right. You know. So, in, like you say, it gets to the crux of the matter of what he had just gone over. You know. <laughs> yeah. We we got to look out for each other. We and and. Uh, well, and to have the heart of a servant, to to serve others rather than just trying to serve ourselves. We're supposed right. to overcome that. Yeah, That's yes. the thing we're supposed to overcome. Yeah, we're told, you know, when your brother is in need. Now, need doesn't mean want. It means yeah. need. How does love, if you lay up for yourself, how does the love of God dwell in you? It's uh, It doesn't. And... We should be more willing to help and serve and take care of those who really need it and not be worried about getting anything back. If you, God thinks you deserve anything back, he'll give it to you in his own time. If you need it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you need it. Verse 39. 39. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? For how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that's in your eye, when you also do not see the plank that's in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother. And that's it. Your brother's eye. Well, that's a good 
thing I should almost always realize. Clean up your house before yeah. worrying about somebody else's house. Yeah, when you got a finger pointing at someone, remember you got four point, pointing right back yeah. at you. And all you can really do is worry about your own self, you know, yeah. making sure that you're clean. You, you can't really influence others in, in how they live. God has to do that. Yeah. Well, that gets back to that judging. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Leave that to God. Yeah, and judge yourself before you go around judging others. 43? Yes. Yep. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bears forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Goes without saying. Yeah. Well, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? It's a good question. Yeah. If you don't really believe he's the Messiah, then obey what he says. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'll show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came, the stream came vehemently beating against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So to hear is one thing and believe is one thing to act on it is necessary as well. Yeah. And, and the foundation here is if it, if it's laid well, then basically how I take it is if, your, your spiritual foundation is laid well, then when Satan does come to tempt you because he's going to come, mm-hmm. then you have a good foundation and you'll you'll survive that temptation the way that the Messiah did there in a couple chapters back. Right. And, you know, this is the tail end of the, you might call this the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. It's, a, it's him saying, he's the foundation. He is the rock now, not what Israel had. But he is the rock. Faith in him as the Messiah and receiving the Holy Spirit and finding a better relationship with God. And now that's the foundation. And then build upon it correctly. Because if you don't, it's not going to stand. You cannot have a house stand if it's on the wrong foundation. And it will not stand if you haven't built anything on it correctly. The house can't stand if it's divided against itself. That's right. Yeah. If you build something on the foundation of Christ, it's contradictory to what he says it is, should be. Mm. That's a good point. All right, Neil, do you have anything else to offer? We're we're right at an hour here, so we're going to have to stop here. No, we're not going to go to seven, huh? (laughs) No, let's don't. Yeah, yeah, we, we want to take our time. We it, don't want to just speed read through these. So, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a long chapter, too. So. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Well, we thank you once again for listening, and we hope to have you back again, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.